Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5, picking up where Enrico left off just a couple Sundays ago in verse 12. Luke 5, we'll be starting in verse 12 as we work our way uh, through this text, verses 12 through 16, as we work our way through the whole gospel of Luke in this series. The title of our study today is Slip Away and Pray Often. Slip Away and Pray Often. This is a well-known passage on Jesus' healing of the leper. Many of you have read this text. But there's a lesser well-known tag at the end of the text about Jesus slipping away often to pray. I cannot help but wonder if the latter is not actually the more powerful of the two topics. But we're safe to say that both are essential for our spiritual growth, no doubt. Now, I also wouldn't be surprised if there are several here who, who would not say that this leper's healing is one of their favorite accounts of Jesus' miraculous ministry. It moves us because of how personal and compassionate Jesus is with this very hurting man. Our hearts relate to texts like this. So follow along as I read verses 12 through 16, and then we'll dig in. Beginning verse 12. It says, while he, that is Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him, that is Jesus, was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Let's do pray again, and then we'll study through these precious verses. Heavenly Father, At the onset of the opening of Scripture here, we worship you, Lord, because you are worthy, righteous, and good altogether. There is none like you in the earth. And so when you speak, we want to listen. But Lord, you know that we listen with human ears. We have so little understanding, so little perspective. We need your spirit to open the eyes of our heart, the ears of our heart. Cause us to see you in the greatness of your truth. Cause us to not only stand in wonder at who you are and what you speak. But Lord, cause us to go away changed, living the Monday through Saturday more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, consider the context here of what we just read, the physical context. Jesus is performing miracles Many of them. His ministry is taking off, you could say. His fame is growing faster and further by the day. He is popular. 
He's desirable. He is impressive. And now we've got another full-blown, undeniable healing, the healing of a leper. And then verse 16 starts with this word, but. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. That is an interesting conjunction at this point in the Scriptures because it stands in somewhat of a contrast to everything just said. The flow of thought unexpectedly turns. It's like a however statement. In spite of all these things going on, in spite of where logic would likely take us next, Jesus goes against the grain of human instinct, even religious instinct. He loves, he leaves the hub of ministry activity. He leaves the masses and instead he chooses to spend quiet time communing with God. That's the title for our study today, Slip Away and Pray Often. My church family, if we can capture the importance and the principle and the power of what Jesus is modeling for us here, our church will never be the same. You and I will never be the same. Show us a man or woman who is often slipping away to spend quiet time with God in prayer. And we will see someone who is tremendous, tremendously modeling Christ-likeness. This is to be desired. So if that is the end point, the target for our study this morning, let's glean first from the truths in verses 12 through 15, the account of the leper. We are going to observe seven lessons for prayer. If you and I want to strengthen and improve and make all the more real our prayer life, our communion with God, and I trust that's our desire, here are seven sure ways to do it. Beginning in verse 12, read again. It says, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We prayerfully consider these words in the light of context. I began to allude to that a moment ago. We consider them in the light of all Scripture in order to learn something from them. And indeed, we can identify at least seven lessons for prayer. And the first is, see your great need. If you're taking notes, there's your first point. See your great need. By all standards of human measurement, thinking about physical context, this fellow had it very bad off. He was covered in leprosy. Now, a quick glance online at, at WebMD says, leprosy is an infectious disease that causes severe, disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage in the arms, legs, and skin areas around your body. Now, not to make like not to make light of that definition, but as it says, it pretty much only affects everywhere you have skin. It goes on to say that if left untreated, the most severe symptoms include things like this. Permanent damage to the nerves outside your brain and spinal cord, including those in the arms, legs, and feet. Nerve damage can lead to a dangerous loss of feeling. You may not feel pain when you get cuts, burns, or other injuries. As many of you know, Lepers in Bible times, because of the lack of effective medical treatment, 
would sometimes simply lose their limbs as they rotted away and fell off their body. Can you imagine? But as if the physical suffering wasn't enough, there was a tremendous emotional and social suffering as well. And there's virtually no hope in sight. Lepers were forced to live outside the city in their own colonies to avoid spread of the disease. They were officially declared unclean by the priest in Israel. And very much so, they were outcasts of society. Just imagine living with that label, unclean. No one wants to be around you. You are the plague. So with that physical context, I want us to pause for a moment here just to help set some spiritual application, direction, interpretation here. I want us to consider the spiritual parallels to leprosy. Leprosy made a person unclean. So does our sin. Leprosy made them an outcast in Israel. Likewise, sin also separates us from God. Lepers were banned from the city. They had to live outside the camp. Likewise, every human is banned from heaven in the presence of God unless the guilt and the curse of sin is removed totally from them. We know by the virtue of the scriptures that happens through repentance of sin, the turning of sin, the godly sorrow over sin, and faith, belief in Jesus Christ and his word alone as scripture commands. In one sentence, nutshell, that is the gospel story. That is why so many of us in this room are believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could heal us of our spiritual leprosy. But back to the analogy, it says, this, uh, this disease eats away at you a little bit at a time from the inside out. Isn't that true of temptation and sin? Oftentimes, this disease destroys your, ner- your nerves. How true of sin. It's like it calluses the conscience. And eventually, people start calling good evil and evil good. Lord, help us. We live in a society that is running that direction. Multiple examples could given, be given. We live in a society that applauds, think about this, that applauds mutilating your body to become someone you cannot become. And they want to do it irreversibly to children. Oh, how the world needs the truthful hope and healing of Jesus Christ. God did not make a mistake when he made you and when he made me. Back to our analogies. Eventually, leprosy takes your life. So does sin. Eternally so. That's why this this feared disease of ancient times was often rightly called living death. What a term, huh? And of this particular leper in the text, it says that he was covered in the disease. I mean, make no mistake, this wasn't just a bad rash. He didn't have a mild case. He was covered in it. Every major portion of his body was affected. Such is the spiritual state of every human being. 
We are covered in sin. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, we are dead in it. Living death. This is such an important foundational point for everyone to understand. Because until we see the lost state of our souls, our sinful state of being before God, we will never see, until we see that, we will never see our need for Jesus, for a Savior, for someone who can forgive and cleanse. No wonder the Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament when he says in Romans 3, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now we we might think, wait a minute, I'm good. I do good. No, not in the presence of holy, perfect, righteous God. This is what the scripture teaches us, and rightly so. You see, it's the standard of measurement that matters. You or I might look good compared to a criminal. I'll give that to us. But that is not the standard God uses. He uses his own holiness, his own sinlessness. We are measured by the moral purity of God. That's why we all need a Savior. We all need God's forgiveness. This is one of the most foundational truths of the scriptures. But back to our text, verse 12. Secondly, we see that it says that the leper saw Jesus. If you and I want to pray well, we need to see Jesus. Christian friend, when you pray, do you see Jesus? Now, of course, I'm not speaking of a literal vision of him. I'm talking about a deep spiritual awareness that we are speaking to Almighty God, the most supreme being, the eternal being, the Holy One, the creator and judge of the entire universe, past, present, and future for all eternity in both directions. How can our minds even wrap around such a thing? I'm very convinced that many of us do not see Jesus properly when we approach him in prayer, at least not all the time, at least not like we could and should. And I speak first for myself. I say that very sincerely. It's worth noting that this leper's prayer, his his petition was positively answered. He was healed. Jesus heard his cry. Jesus was moved And he answered it and miraculously and immediately in full healed the leper. He answered his prayer to his benefit. And so we do well to see what insights and clues this scripture might be giving to guide us in our approach to God in prayer. And one true to scripture point that we observe is that this man came face to face with Jesus. He saw him. And so what is the spiritual parallel for us today? When you and I pray, do we see Jesus? Are we intentionally mindful of the God to whom we are speaking? And are we biblically mindful? This is so important. Many Christians, to varying degrees, 
are praying to the God of their imagination, the God who they think he is. But as we've we've noted many times, God is not who you and I think he is. He is who he says he is. That's one of the grand reasons we go back to the Scriptures again and again and again. No matter how long we have been a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, we go back to the Word. We continually meditate in it to better and better behold God for who He is. We observe not only His words but the written record of His actions This is why the Old Testament is so wonderful to those who love God. It is a magnificent portrait of Him, and it carries right into the New Testament. So when we pray, do we first pause to behold the magnificence of God? One way to do this is to intentionally bring to mind His attributes, His character qualities, that which defines Him so that those attributes can move us and shape our prayers. Are you following me on that? Let let me suggest four attributes just for starters. Attributes like God's omniscience. Is it just me or do we sometimes pray as though God does not know what's going on in our lives? Things come out of our mouth like, God, don't you see what's happening to me? Those are the prayers, the words of a person who in their great distress has forgotten the omniscience of God, the all-knowing of God. Yes, he sees, he knows, he understands. Psalm 139 begins this way. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. What a great way to preface our petitions in prayer. What about God's omnipotence, the reality that He is all-powerful? Sometimes we pray as though we question whether God is even able. Of course, course, I don't think those words would come from any of our mouths. But our fears and our anxieties often betray our lack of faith in His ability. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Is that how we approach God in prayer? What about God's goodness? Even if we concede that he is able Sometimes our fears and our anxieties often betray our lack of faith in His goodness toward us. We think, we pray, we emote as though the all-powerful God of heaven does not take interest in us, that His goodness for some reason has perhaps bypassed or ignored us. Hebrews 12.10 corrects this faulty thinking when it says God disciplines us for our good. That word discipline is used in the context of the discipline of a soldier or an athlete. 
the heavy weights, the struggling they go through in order to become stronger. In that context, it says God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Even God's discipline is for our good, not just his provisions, protections, and guidance. What about God's faithfulness? Do we bring that to mind as we approach the Lord in prayer? Sometimes there is fear in our prayer that stems from the very real and deep, subtle doubt that God will actually be true to his promises, to his power, to his goodness toward us. Yes, we know he has promised, we know he is able, we know he is good, but will he follow through for me right now, thousands of years after the life of Christ? Or am I just a nobody? to whom his word does not count. Consider this text from God in, November, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? I love those rhetorical questions. Yes, you and I can count on the promised faithfulness of God. We can count on the faithful promises of God. You get the point here. When we pray, let us first pause deeply to see who we are even praying to. The God of heaven and earth, the all-wise, all-powerful, all-good, all-righteous, all-faithful, King of kings, our heavenly Father, our Savior, our ruler of all. This beholding of God changes our prayers. It shapes them because even as we approach God, He changes and strengthens our faith and the prayers that are even about to come forth. This then begins to change our thinking, our emotions, our behaviors. In, in turn, it changes our responses to situations. I cannot stress enough the importance of opening the Word of God to behold Him so that we can know who we are even praying to. Seeing God changes our prayers. And in a way that I do not understand, I just see it to be true all throughout Scriptures, Sometimes, his sovereignly, he, sometimes he sovereignly allows our prayers to even impact his sovereign answer to our prayers. What a motivation to pray. So first we see the severe need, our great need in, when we go to God in prayer. Second, we see the, the fact that the leper saw Jesus. Next, the text says he fell on his face. Third point in our outline for biblical and effective prayer is worship. The verse says, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Church family, when was the last time you and I went to prayer, beheld God, and fell on our face spiritually? if not even physically. We were so awestruck, 
so humbled by the one sitting on the throne of grace that we instinctively bowed before him in our hearts. Is this how you and I approach God in prayer? My great concern is how casually or even flippantly we can sometimes approach the God of heaven and earth. Perhaps we approach him with a demanding spirit. Perhaps we approach with insincerity. We pray one thing, but then we go and live another. Lord, work in my heart. Help me to overcome this sin. Help me to trust you. But then like James chapter 1 warns, we walk away from the place of prayer, the time with the word, and we instantly turn back to self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, and self-exaltation just like before. How many times have we heard people say things like, he'll never change, she'll never change? Perhaps true worship is the issue in such cases. Is it just me or do we sometimes approach God in prayer but our mind is distracted with 10 other things of the day? You know what it's like talking to someone and you can tell that they are thinking about other things. Their eyes are wandering. No, I'm, I'm, I'm over here. You know, their, their responses to your conversation, they're, they're delayed a little. Uh, they're a little aloof. My wife would testify that I occasionally model this perfectly. She's telling me about her day, and I am silently, silently trying to figure out how to fix the lawnmower you know, or whatever it might be, right? And she knows it. You see, distraction is disrespectful. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. Distraction is disrespectful. When we pray to the God of heaven and are distracted from him, it communicates that there are more valuable and important things on our mind than him. Where is the worship in that? This leper beheld Jesus and fell on his face. Let that be our posture in prayer as well. Fourthly, the text says that he implored Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let me just bundle these uh, next three points together here for the sake of time. Pray passionately. Pray in submission to the will of God and affirm the power of God, points four through six. Again, we see that the leper prayed passionately. He implored Jesus. He prayed in submission to the will of God and he affirmed and acknowledged the power of God. Regarding the fourth point, don't you just love hearing people pray with passion and conviction? I'm not talking about hype. I'm not talking about manufactured emotion. But sincere, fervent, faith-filled, biblically guided, strong, convinced communion with the God of heaven and earth. Passion is the right response of worship. If we truly worship, passion will be the fruit because God is just that awesome. That'd be a great time for an amen. God is just that awesome. And then there's this leper's attitude of not my will but thine. We've heard those words before. My goodness, if the Son of God needed to utter those words in the Garden of Gethsemane, how much more you and me? And is it interesting 
that it was a leper who got this point of submission to the will of God correct. If you are willing, if it be your will, oh, that you and I might often be heard uttering those words of trust in the future good and perfect will of God. Lord, if it be your will, would you heal me of my ailment? If it be your will, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? If it be your will, would you provide however and whenever you know best? You see, when the heart prays, trusting in the will of God, more than the certainty of their own determination of what is needed and what is best, it changes the tone of the prayer. It goes from distressed to peaceful from demanding to grateful, from haughty to worshipful, and so on. Think about this. Can you imagine if God gave us everything we asked for instead of giving us what he knew was best? Tremble at the thought of such answered prayer unless we are praying the will of God. How exemplary is our sixth point here? I love this one. The, 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 the leper acknowledged the power of God. You can do it. I love that. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. When we pray, we should often be heard affirming the power of God. Lord, we know you can do it. Lord, you are able. No one is mighty like you. That is why we pray to you and to you alone. I can't help but think of that little shepherd boy, David. When he walked onto the battlefield straight into the path of the enemy giant, Goliath. You remember what he said? This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now I could be mistaken, but that sounds a lot like confidence in God. Isn't it sad when we, or someone we hear, pray with overtones of, of, but I know God probably isn't even listening. This probably isn't even going to make a difference. Please hear me on this. This kind of attitude is revealed by prayers that are followed by fears. May our children learn by our example to pray passionately with confidence in God and in submission to his good and perfect will. Look now at how long it took Jesus to answer this prayer. How long it took him to answer a prayer coming from a heart like this. Verse 13 says, and he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. That's the God we pray to. That's the power he wields. Even more so than the model prayer, 
Be inspired by the power and the goodness of the one to whom the leper prayed. God does not always answer our prayers in the affirmative like this, but he always answers them according to his good and perfect will. We can rest in that. And how can our, our hearts not be moved by the wording in the verse here? And he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched the leper. The one with the contagious disease. That was an action that would cause any person, any other person, to be declared unclean in Israel. But not Jesus. Friends, that is one more evidence of Jesus' love for sinners, for the unclean. He's not afraid because he's the healer. He is the great physician. He's the savior. He's got the power. He's got the goodness. He's got the authority. He is trustworthy. In his good time, he will make all things right. And that should change our prayers. God does all things well. As the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Oh, how much we have to learn from the one who is good and does good. Verse 14, it says, and he, this Jesus, ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Isn't that interesting? Tell no one. The text doesn't say why Jesus said that, but we do know this. Jesus is not real big on all these miracles he was performing. His physical healing power was not his priority and what he wanted to be known for. We're going to see this next week, Lord willing, in great clarity as we move to the next portion of Luke 5 here. But we also know that Jesus sent the, the leper straight to the high priest because this is what the Levitical law commanded of a leper who perhaps overcame their leprosy. It could happen. Observe, in the moment of life-changing answered prayer, Jesus commanded this man to go to the temple and to worship and to obey God. Fulfill what God has commanded of you. And that is what would testify of the power of God in his life. This is point number seven in our outline. When God answers our prayers, let us be quick to obey. Think about this. Grateful obedience is an oft-overlooked response to answered prayer. When God moves and he hears our cry and he provides and he works out of his great mercy and grace, one of the great responses we should have is sanctification, obedience. Answered prayer should drive us to sanctification, not just gratitude. Jesus sent him to the priest because it was the priest who would declare him clean and permit him back into society. We don't have time to go over it today. I'm going to skip this. But Luke 14, go read Luke chapter 14, verse 1 to 32. It's the process. It's like a, a seven to eight day process. A spiritual ritual that God commanded 
any leper to go through where they believed they had been cleaned. You'll see a number of things. The sacrifice went up, but I just want to bring one to your attention real quick. Part of this process was that the individual had to bring two birds to the priest. One of them would be killed. The other would be dipped in its blood and set free. Mic drop, huh? What a spiritual parallel. What a prophetic symbol of the Messiah, the Jesus Christ, who would come and die to take the penalty of our sins so that we spiritually could be dipped in his blood and set free. That's why I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture we see in the Old Testament of what God wants to do in the hearts of all those who will repent of sin and believe in him. Verse 15 says, but the news about him, speaking of Jesus, was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. If you read through the four gospels, you'll see that Jesus repeatedly was stepping away from the hustle and bustle of life, even ministry, to spend quiet time with God. Very quickly, we see four words, four key words here in the text that teach us something. They're underlined on the screen. The first word is often. You get it. Jesus often prayed, not just when he was desperate, not just when he was in a pinch. Quite the contrary, he sometimes left, the, left to go pray even at the peak of awesome ministry. Does the word often define your and my prayer life? It should. Number two, we see the word slip away. Jesus didn't make great fanfare of his prayers. He wasn't trying to appear religious. Quite the contrary, he understood the principle of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, which he taught the words he gave in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. What a thought, huh? That's all they get. But he goes on to say, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is in, done in secret will reward you. Slip away. Number three, we see the word wilderness. It's an important word here. It's one that we would easily pass right over. Jesus would slip away into the wilderness or into the desert places. He had to find a quiet place. It was obvious he had to get away from everything and everyone to devote his attention to his father. If that be the case for the Son of God, how much more us? Can I be a little nosy here? A little personal? Praying in the car on the way to work is good. Praying while we do the dishes or tend to the chores is fine. But it cannot replace the quiet place. Another good place for an amen. the place where we can turn all of our attention to the God of the universe, 
because he is worthy. Number four, we see the word pray. When you and I finally manage to slip away to the quiet place, we need to do what we went there for, pray. Don't get distracted. And again, I hope you know I'm preaching to myself as well this morning, very much so. When I pray, it is terribly easy to think about next Sunday's sermon or various counseling sessions or that broken appliance or, or the budget, you name it, you get it. It's not just daydreaming that is a cancer to prayer. So is problem solving. When we go to the place of prayer, we must do what we went there for, pray. One of the things that I love about Scripture is that it's often not nearly as complicated as, as we expect or, or make it out to be. One of the profound lessons for today is that we should actually pray when we go to the place of prayer. I know that's, that is profound. You drove a long distance to hear that. But actually pray when you set aside time to pray. The distractions are great and they are strong. So we wrap up here, let me summarize the application question. Do you and I pray like what we've studied and seen in the scriptures today? We saw the attitude and behavior of prayer in the leper, and we saw the behavior and frequency in Jesus. Let us go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the incredible truth of you and your word. There is none like you. Cause us to go away and pray more like Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.